Chapter twenty five of a mysterious disappearance by Louis Tracy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Miss Phyllis Brown intervenes. Bruce was quite positive in his belief that Jane Harding was the paid agent of some person who wished to conceal the facts concerning Lady Dyke's death. Her unexpected appearance in the field at this late hour, no less than the bold role she adopted, proved this conclusively, but in England there was no torture-chamber to which she might be led and gradually dismembered until she confessed the truth. So long as she adhered to the policy of pert denial, she was quite safe. The law could not touch her, for the chief witness against her, Sir Charles Dyke, was obviously more than half inclined to admit the genuineness of the letter, even in opposition to the superior judgment of his friend. Yet it was a matter which Bruce considered ought to be made known to the police, so he sent for Mr. White and told him of the strange result of his interview with Miss Marie Le Marchand. "'Dash everything!' cried the detective, when he heard the news. "'I made a note some time ago that that girl ought to be watched, but I clean forgot all about it.' "'Remember,' said Bruce, "'that my discovery was the result of pure accident.' My object in visiting her was to endeavour to induce her confidence with regard to Lady Dyke's former life and habits. Indeed, I handled the business very badly. I don't see that, sir. You got hold of a very remarkable fact, and thus prevented the success of a bold move by someone which, in my case at any rate, nearly choked me off the inquiry. True, thus far chance favoured me but I ought to have been content with the assumption. There was no need to frighten her by pressing it home. Oh, from that point of view, began the detective. But Bruce was merely thinking aloud, rough-shaping his ideas as they grouped themselves in his brain. Perhaps I am wrong there, too, he went on. If this girl is working to instructions, she would have refused to help me in any way, and she already knows that I am on the trail. "'There's one highly satisfactory feature in that Jane Harding adventure, Mr. White.' "'And what is that?' "'The person or persons responsible for Lady Dyke's death know that the matter has not been dropped. They are inclined to think that the circle is narrowing. In some of our castes, Mr. White, we must have come so unpleasantly close to them that they deemed it advisable to throw us off the scent by a bold effort.' "'No doubt you are right, sir, but I wish to goodness I knew when we were warm, as I am becoming tired of the business. Every new development deepens the mystery.' The detective's face was as downcast as his words. "'Surely not. The more pieces of the puzzle we have to handle, the less difficult should be the final task of putting them together.' "'Not when every piece is a fresh puzzle in itself.' "'Why, what has disconcerted you to-day?' "'Mrs. Hilmer. What of her?' "'I have had another talk with a maid, her companion, you know, a girl named Dobson. It struck me that it was advisable to know more about Mrs. Hilmer than we do at present.' Bruce made no comment, but he could not help reflecting that Corbett, the stranger from Wyoming, had entertained the same view. "'Well,' continued the detective, I went about the affair as quietly as possible, but the maid, though willing, could not tell me much. 
Mrs. Hilmer, she thinks, married very young, and was badly treated by her husband. Finally there was a rumpus, and she went on the stage, while Hilmer drank himself to death. He died a year ago, and they had been separated nearly five years. He was fairly well-to-do, but he squandered all his money in dissipation and never gave her a cent. Three years last Michaelmas, he set up her present establishment at Raleigh Mansions, and there she has been ever since. Then where does the money come from? It must cost her at least two thousand pounds a year to live. That's just what the maid can't tell me. Her mistress led a very secluded life, and was never what you could call fast, though a very pretty woman. During this time she had only one visitor, a gentleman. Ah! It sounds promising, but it ends in smoke, so far as I can see. Why? This gentleman was a Colonel Montgomery, an old friend, though he wasn't much turned thirty, the maid says. He interested himself a lot in Mrs. Hilmer's affairs, looked after some investments for her, and was on very good terms with her, and nobody could whisper a word against the character of either of them. He was never there except in the afternoon. On very rare occasions he took Mrs. Hilmer, whose maid always accompanied them, to Epping Forest, or up the river, or on some such journey. Go on. I'm sorry, sir, but the chase is over. He's dead. Dead? Yes, the maid doesn't know how or when exactly, but one day she found her mistress crying, and when she asked her what was the matter, Mrs. Hilmer said, I've lost my friend. The maid said, Surely not Colonel Montgomery, madam? And she replied, Yes. She quite took on about it. Had the maid no idea as to the date of this interesting occurrence? Only a vague one, sometime in the autumn or before Christmas. By Jove, yes, it escaped me at the time, but she said that soon after the colonel's death another gentleman called and took her mistress out to dinner. I was so busy thinking about the colonel that I slipped the significance of that statement. It must have been you, Mr. Bruce. So it seems. The barrister's active brain was already assimilating this new information. If a woman like Mrs. Hilmer had lost a dear and valuable friend, one who practically formed the horizon of her life, she would certainly have one mourning for him. It was a singular coincidence that Mrs. Hilmer lost Colonel Montgomery about the same time that Lady Dyke disappeared. Detective and maid alike had drawn a false inference from Mrs. Hilmer's words. "'We must find Colonel Montgomery,' he said, after a slight pause. "'Find him?' "'Yes.' "'I hope neither of us is going his way for some time to come, Mr. Bruce,' laughed the policeman. "'White, I shall never cure you from jumping at conclusions. Upon your present evidence, Colonel Montgomery is no more dead than you are. But the maid said—I don't care if fifty maids said—there are many more ways of losing a friend than by death. Pass me the army list, on that bookshelf behind you there.' A brief reference to the index, and Bruce said— I thought so. There is no Colonel Montgomery. There are several captains and lieutenants, and a major general who has commanded a small island in the Pacific for the last five years, but not a single colonel. White, you have blundered into eminence in your profession. I am glad to hear it, even as you put it, Mr. Bruce, but I don't see... I know you don't. If you did, a popular novelist would write your life and style you the English Lecoq. 
Mrs. Hilmer lost the gallant colonel at the same time that the world lost Lady Dyke. Find the first, and I am much mistaken if we do not learn all about the second. Now I wonder if you are right. The detective's eyes sparkled with animation. It was the first real clue he had hit upon, and Bruce's method of complimenting him on the fact did not disconcert him. Of course I'm right. You have done so well with the maid that I leave her in your hands. Try the coachman, the cook, but keep me informed of your progress. White rushed off elated. So persistent was he in striving to elucidate this new problem that he paid no heed during some days to the sidelight furnished by Jane Harding and her exceedingly curious powers as a letter-writer. Bruce purposely left the inquiry to the policeman. He realized intuitively that the disappearance of Lady Dyke would soon be explained, but he shrank from subjecting Mrs. Hilmer to further questioning. His abstinence was rewarded later in the week, for Mensmore came to see him. The young man wore an expression of settled melancholy, which surprised the barrister greatly. "'Have you prevailed on your sister to take us into her confidence?' he said, when Mensmore was ensconced in a chair in his cosy sitting-room. "'No. She is more fixed than ever in her resolve to take the whole blame on herself.' "'Surely this mistaken idea can be shaken?' I fear not. And you also share it? I do. Bear with us, Bruce. This is a terrible business. It has broken me up utterly. Nonsense. You are in no way concerned, save to shield your sister, and no one credits her wild statements regarding her complicity in this crime. Look here, my dear fellow. I have come to ask you if this investigation cannot be allowed to rest. It means a lot of misery that you cannot foretell or prevent. Knowing what I do, I cannot believe that Lady Dyke was murdered. Knowing what I do, I cannot accept any other conclusion. A worthy and estimable lady leaves her home suddenly, without the slightest imaginary cause, and she is found in the Thames with a piece of iron driven into her brain, while the medical evidence is clear that death was not due to drowning." What other inference can be drawn than that she was foully done to death? Heaven help me, I cannot tell, yet I appeal to you to let matters rest where they are, if it's possible. It is not possible. I cannot control the police. I am merely a private agent acting on my own responsibility and on behalf of Lady Dyke's relatives. Don't misunderstand me, Bruce. I am not asking this thing on account of my sister or myself. On whose account, then? Mensmore did not answer for a moment. He looked mournfully into the fire for inspiration. Perhaps I had better tell you, he said, that I have broken off my engagement with Miss Brown. The other jumped from his chair. What the dickens do you mean? he cried. Exactly what I have said. When we met on Monday night, I did not mention that Sir William and Lady Brown and their daughter travelled back to England with us. On Tuesday I saw Phyllis. In view of the shadow thrown on me by this frightful charge, I thought it my duty to release her from any ties. If my sister has to figure in a court of law as a principal or accomplice in a murder case, and possibly myself with her, I could not consent to associate my poor Phyllis's name with mine. So I took the plunge. "'You are a beastly idiot,' shouted Bruce. 
If I had the power, I would give you six months' hard labor this moment. Whoever threatened to put you or your sister in the dock? You have done your best that way, you know. I, I have shielded you throughout. I feel that, but your admission shows that I'm right. Shielded us from what? From arrest by the police, of course. But why take this precipitate action? What has Lady Dyke's death to do with your marriage to Miss Brown? That's it, Bruce. I cannot explain. I must endure silently. Did you give her any reason for your absurd resolution? Yes. I could have no secrets from her. Did you inflict all this wretched story on a woman you loved and hoped to marry? You may be as bitter as you like. That is my idea of square dealing at any rate. What other pretext could I invite for... for giving her up? Mensmore found it hard to utter the words. In his heart Bruce pitied him, though he raged at this lamentable issue of the only bright passage in the whole story of death and intrigue. And what did Miss Brown say? Oh, she just pooh-poohed the affair, and pretended to laugh at me, though she was crying all the time. A nice kettle of fish you have made of it, growled the barrister. You help your sister in the folly of silence and then proceed to give effect to it by ruining your own happiness and that of your affianced wife. Have you seen Miss Brown since? No. His visitor was so utterly disconsolate that Bruce was at a loss to know how to deal with him. He felt that if Mensmore would but speak regarding Mrs. Hilmer's strange delusion and the cause of it, all these difficulties and disasters would disappear. He resolved to try a direct attack. "'Have you ever heard of a Colonel Montgomery?' he said suddenly, bending his searching gaze on the other's downcast face. The effect was electrical. Mensmore was so taken back that he was spellbound. He looked at Claude, the picture of astonishment, before he stammered, "'I—you—who told you about him?' "'He was your sister's friend, adviser, and confidant,' was the stern reply." He it is who, in some mysterious way, is bound up with Lady Dyke's disappearance. Mensmore rose excitedly. I cannot discuss the matter with you, he cried. I have given my sacred promise, and no matter what the cost may be, I will not break my word. I do not press you, but may I see Mrs. Hilmer again? When she is calmer, I might reason with her. The other placed his hand on Bruce's shoulder, and his voice was very impressive, though shaken by strong emotion. "'Believe me,' he said, "'it is better that you should not see her. It will be useless. She is leaving London, not to avoid consequences, but to get away from painful memories. Her departure will be quite open, and her place of residence known to anyone who cares to inquire. One thing she is immovable in. She will never reveal to a living soul what she knows of Lady Dyke's death. She would rather suffer any punishment at the hands of the law. Don't you understand that this man Montgomery is known to the police? Sooner or later he will be found and asked to explain any connection he may have had with the crime. Why not accomplish quietly that which will perforce be done through the uncompromising channels of Scotland Yard? Your reasoning appears to be good, but— but folly must prevail? Put it that way if you like. So this wretched imbroglio may cost you the love of a charming and devoted girl. 
heaven help me it may probably will i swear to you cried the barrister who was unusually excited that i will tear the heart out of this mystery before the week expires mensmore bowed silently and would have left the room but smith entered in their distraction they had not heard the bell ring smith handed a card to his master instantly bruce controlled himself his admiration for the dramatic sequence of events overcame his eagerness as an actor it was with an appreciative smile that he said without the slightest reference to mensmore show the lady in mensmore was passing out but the sight of the visitor drove him back as though he had been struck it was phyllis brown her recognition of him was a bright smile she advanced to bruce saying pleasantly i am glad to meet you though the manner of my call is somewhat unconventional i heard much of you from birdie in the riviera and more since my return to town he suitably expressed his delight at this apparition mensmore not knowing what to do stood awkwardly at the other end of the room neither of the others paid the least heed to him of course i had a definite object in coming to see you mr bruce went on the young lady i have been coolly told that because somebody killed somebody else some months ago a young gentleman who asked me to be his wife is not only not going to marry me but intends to spend the rest of his life in central africa or china anywhere in fact but where i may be a most unwise resolve said the barrister so i thought you appear to hold the key to the situation and as it is an easy matter to trace you through the directory here i am my people think i am skating at st james's well miss brown said claude i am neither judge nor jury nor counsel for the prosecution but there is the culprit i hand him over to you yes but that goose didn't kill anybody did he no and i am sure his sister did not from what little i saw of her she would not hurt a fly quite true then why don't you find the man who caused all the mischief and and lock him up at least so that he cannot go on injuring people miss phyllis was very brave and self-confident at the outset now she was on the verge of tears for mensmore's saddened face and depressed manner unnerved her more than his passionate words at their last interview you ask me a straight question replied bruce though his eyes were fixed on mensmore and i will give you a straight answer i will find the man who killed lady dyke as you say it is time his capacity for doing injury to others should be limited before many days have passed mr mensmore will come to you and beg your pardon for his hasty and quite unwarranted resolve did you hear that birdie cried the girl didn't i tell you so mensmore came forward to her side of the table i need not wait phil dear he said simply i ask your pardon now this business is in the hands of providence i was foolish to think that anything i could do would stave off the inevitable and if you have to go to china you will take me with you bruce looked out of the window whistled and said loudly addressing a beautiful lady in short skirts who figured in a post across the way let me ring for some tea all this talk makes one dry End of chapter 25